With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you so much for tuning in to the very first edition of the Other Connor Podcast. My name is Connor Halley, not Connor McDavid. I'm super pumped to be a part of the Hockey Podcast Network and to give you all some much-needed Oilers content. First things first, thank you again for tuning into this show, our first ever. And let me introduce myself. My name is Connor Halley. I've been living in the city my whole life, born and raised on the west side of Edmonton. Shout out to La Pearl. And, uh, of course, living in Edmonton, being a sports fan, I grew up cheering for the Edmonton Oilers, the likes of Ryan Smith, Jason Arnett, Doug Waite, Bill Guerin. Those were the guys I grew up rooting for while living in the city. And like those teams in the mid to late 90s, we're going to work our ass off to give you some of the best Oilers content available. We'll do a lot of the normal stuff. We'll break down games. We'll set games up. We'll talk about the team's second unit power play and what's wrong with it, what's going on with the goaltending, all those sorts of things. But I want to go deeper. I want to talk to former players, members of the organization that never even laced up the skates, and talk about their time representing the Edmonton Oilers. And of course, we will be bringing in members of the media to share their thoughts. I know you guys love to hear that. We want the hot takes. We'll bring it all here on the Other Connor Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to look back at the offseason. Of course, there were some changes with the team. The big news being that Oscar Clefbaum will not play this season. So what does general manager Ken Holland do? He goes out and brings in Tyson Berry, who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs last season. So we're going to bring in someone who watched him play for a living. Terry Cochan of the Toronto Sun will join us to discuss that acquisition. Of course, the team also brought in Kyle Turris from the Nashville Predators. So Adam Vignan of the Athletic will hop on to discuss that. And what does Kyle Turris bring to the team? You know, we all think he's probably that third-line center, but could he play up in the lineup in a pinch? Can he power play? Can he penalty kill? We'll talk to Adam about that. We'll bring in my good friend Tom Gazzola. He is the host of the pre- and post-game shows on TSN 1260. We'll talk to Tom, who was down at Nate watching the Oilers skate today. And uh, he's got one surprising player to watch out for. You uh, definitely want to listen to that conversation. But we're going to start things off with the legend himself. To many, he is known as Low Tide. He has a radio show on TSN 1260, The Lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear every Monday through Friday. He also writes for The Athletic. Alan Mitchell joins us now. Alan, how are you doing today? Well, I'm great. I, I, I'm so happy that we have actual hockey and playoffs and, and or junior playoffs, but NHL hockey training camps uh, to talk about. It's, uh, I think everybody's got a, an extra skip in their step right now because uh, hockey's back. Oh, yeah. When I open up social media today, start looking through and, and seeing guys on the ice, like finally it's all coming together. And uh, we're really thrilled to have you on the Other Connor podcast, the inaugural edition. You are our first ever guest. And I wanted to have you on because I wanted to tell you this story. I don't think I've ever told you before. Back in the day, you and I obviously worked together on Oilers Nation Radio. I think that was 10 plus years ago now. Pretty crazy. But my friend actually told me that I was working on this show with you. I think he saw it on Oilers Nation and mentioned that I was going to do this show on Saturdays with Low Tide. And he was so pumped up that I was going to work with Low Tide. 
And I said, I, I think he's a salesman at our building. Like, I, I, I'm not too sure who this low tide guy is because I was just not in the oilogosphere, as you called it. Like, I was so out of touch back then. I'm thrilled it happened. I'm thrilled it worked out. But, I mean, what do you remember from the early days of Oilers Nation Radio? Well, you know, I, I remember two things. Number one, I remember everybody saying to me, uh, it, it's easy. It's just like you'd, you'd you know, worked on the radio before. And when I had been on the radio before, I was working, like, music formats, Top 40, uh, some country. Uh, sometimes you'd do an interview, but it would usually be pre-produced. And as you know, it's way different to do a pre-produced uh, than an actual live uh, interview. So the, the, for me, I was actually glad that you were my producer because I, I'm sure you remember, and I'm sure I did it where I just had the, you know, I, I run out of words. I hope you have commercials look. Uh, so there was, a, there was a process that took me a while to, to get used to it. But I remember uh, prepping for like two and a half hours every Friday night to make sure I had enough to just just flat out read uh, in case guests didn't you know arrive or didn't answer the phone uh, because we were doing I think we were doing was it three hours it was a hell of a shift I think it was three <laughs> hours and there was a lot going on uh, and I remember the the early early days uh, it was great I loved the guests we got great guests and it was a lot of fun but for me the early days were man I, I I could not, I just so badly wanted to play like Gordon Lightfoot song and, and, you know, do my old time routine, which was a hell of a lot easier than talking for three straight hours. What I always remember was like, that was kind of the concern. Let's just try to get through this segment. Let's make sure we fill it out. And I guess now, almost a decade later, how much prep do you do before an episode of The Lowdown with Low Tide? Uh, we usually have, like, tomorrow, we don't have our guests at all ready, ready for tomorrow's show. Often I'll have, like, for, for, the, for the Monday, I knew we were going to have, I knew we were going to have a Cleveland Browns guest and, a, and, a, uh, and Jason Greger. So I, I, I probably jot down two or three notes uh, during the day, and then by the time I go to bed, I want to have some kind of an idea about what the themes will be, World Juniors, Oilers Camp, NFL regular season. I knew there'd be a lot of fire that day so I would have that and then probably the, the morning of I would spend an hour on it but that's just to kind of clean it up and and make sure I, I, I know which way I'm going it, it's a it's a much easier process now Alan Mitchell joining us here on the other Connor podcast uh, we're gonna get to the Oilers right now and uh, this being the first show and since we don't have any games to discuss right now I want to go back and look at the offseason of course the team brings in Tyson Berry from the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, we will have Terry Corson on the show later on to talk about uh, just what to expect from Tyson Berry and how he played last season with the Maple Leafs but what do you expect his role to be on this club and what do you think the effect will be with that power play with Oscar Clefbaum obviously being out for the year well, he's a really dynamic power play quarterback. I think that, uh, that, that, you know, the results last year were ridiculous for the Oilers on the power play. I don't know that you can expect them to get better. But I also, with Barry here, I don't think you can really reasonably predict they'll get worse. This is just going to be a flat-out brilliant power play. Uh, at 5-on-5, five five, it was interesting. Mike Babcock used him a little differently uh, before he was let go by Toronto. He's more of a uh, feature guy playing a lot of minutes at 5-on-5. Five Whereas uh, Sheldon Keefe, 
who, who took over as coach, he sort of lessened the role, made it a little easier. He wasn't playing against the, the, the difficult opponents so often. He got some, uh, you know, at a face-off, it was in the offensive zone. Barry, because he's a talented player with the puck, he would, he would take those offensive face-offs more often than defensive. So he, he protected them a little bit. But Barry's such a talented guy with the puck. I think that's, that's an area that... that they're all going to have to figure out. But Dave Tippett's a bright coach, so he'll figure out a way to do that. But I would, I would predict that uh, Tyson Berry will, will get a lot of power play time at 5-on-5, at five five, a little bit of a push for, for uh, own zone draws, maybe not so much, and maybe if there's an opportunity on the fly to, to change, I think he'd jump over the boards too. He'll be heading north a lot with the Oilers. Another offseason addition was Kyle Turris coming over from the Nashville Predators, uh, someone who I think a lot of people thought that would be a good fit for the Oilers, maybe plug it right into that third-line center. What do you expect from him this season? And uh, with that, I know uh, we had head coach Dave Tippett on the show on Friday, and he mentioned that potentially you could see him in a penalty kill role. What do you expect from Turris with the Oilers? Well, I think that, that it was good that he got out of where he was. I don't know why uh, Nashville is a place where, where centers uh, often go and have their offense you know, cut in half, but he was not effective there. There was not a role that he was well-suited to. I think he'll play well here for two reasons. Number one, uh, there's not, there won't be a lot of pressure. He'll be on the third line, so and he'll be lining up with really good line mates. Uh, at the first day of camp, he was with Jessupul Yarby and Josh Archibald. I think Tyler Ennis might land there. Uh, uh, as, the, as toward the start of the regular season, those are good, talented people he'd be playing with, and he'd be playing third line. So most of the top, you know, pairings and and other uh, difficult uh, forwards would be uh, sitting down, and he'd be playing third line, probably matching against the other team's third line. I think he's got all kinds of skill, and he's not an old player at all. Uh, I think he, I think a rebound season from tourists. Uh, is likely. I don't know if they're going to outscore their opponents, but I think he'll put up some good numbers. One of the big news notes of the offseason was, of course, Oscar Clefbaum, the injury that's going to sideline him for the entire season, and obviously a big loss, but Tyson Berry will fill some of that. With that, though, comes the opportunity for a lot of young players that the Oilers have in their system. Who do you think will take that next step and potentially try to fill some of the void left by Clefbaum? I think Caleb Jones has a real chance here, and I like him a lot. I think he played really well when he got recalled. He played with Adam Larson. They were an effective pairing, uh, not, and I'm not suggesting that he'll replace uh, Oscar Kleppbaum. And in some ways, you know, he's he, he's a younger player. He's he's faster. Kleppbaum slowed down quite a bit with injuries over the last few years, and he can pass the puck well, and that's what Larson needs. So I don't think they're going to be a shutdown pairing per se. Uh, Larson can play the shutdown role, but I think with Jones. Uh, he, he's got a guy who can outlet pass well, skate the puck to safety, and, and Larson needs that. So that, to me, is a pairing that could work well. I'm also really curious about uh, Slater Cuckoo, who's an interesting player uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks. Most recently, we saw him in the bubble. He plays right side, but he's left-handed. I think he might get a look uh, alongside Larson on that second pair. And now we'll go all the way back to between the pipes. Obviously, Mikko Koskinen returning with Mike Smith. Out of 10, how confident are you in that pairing? I like Koskinen a lot. I think I think he's um, comparable to the teams that the Oilers will be uh, in in the playoff race with in the Canadian division. By that I mean uh, uh, Vancouver, Calgary, uh, I think Toronto, uh, I, I think that the teams that are, are, are substantially better, Montreal and Winnipeg in goal, 
are, are they have other flaws and other issues. But I think the owners can compete with the teams they'll need to compete to within the division when Koskinen is in goal. The worry is, and Mike Smith gets hot streaks and can go and carry a team for some time. The problem with a, a shorter 56-game season is uh, Tippett's not going to be able to, I don't think, give him as much rope this year as he did a year ago. And, and that is a concern because uh, it'll be difficult to replace a goaltender if he's not effective during the year. Anton Forsberg isn't, uh, you know, he's, he's played in the NHL, but he's not a proven number two. That's a little bit of a concern. Smith can get hot and make uh, his coach look like a genius, but he is, he runs hot and cold. When he's cold, uh, you really can't play him very much. Alan Mitchell, the host of the Lowdown with Low Tide, as well as writer at The Athletic, joining us here on the Other Connor podcast discussing the Edmonton Oilers, of course. Uh, I want to ask you about Coach Tippett. And, uh, what have you seen from him in his first year and a little bit uh, that makes you optimistic that he can really be the coach to take this team and get them where they want to go? Well, I think he's perfect for this era of coach, and I'll tell you why. He's going to have inexpensive players, whether they be young rookies or veterans who, like tourists who, who were bought out or released or didn't get the contract they thought they would get. Uh, and, and he is really good at, at kind of repositioning players. Uh, rookies come in here and they, Ethan Bear played well, Caleb Jones played well, Connor Yamamoto played well. I watched for, a long time where a young offensive winger would come up from the AHL and he'd get put on the fourth line and all of his confidence would wane and then he'd get sent back down. Yamamoto didn't spend very much time with, with anybody aside from Leon Dreisaitl. He played in a feature role and did really well. Uh, almost every under-25 player on the orders a year ago maybe with the exception of Jujar Kara. I can't remember how old Jujar Kara is, but somewhere in there, Jujar Kara struggled. But uh, everybody who was a young player on the orders a year ago flourished. They played well. They played better than, than I think would have been expected. And that's, I think, why Tippett's a really valuable coach in this era, because the back half of the roster is going to need to play. It's going to be inexpensive, and they have to have really, really specific roles. And Tippett's been good at that, not just here, but also Dallas and Phoenix before he got here. Just a couple more questions for you, Al. We really appreciate you hopping on today. Uh, who has one, or give us one player that you think will surprise the majority of Oilers fans? I think there's... Uh, Two. I'll give you two instead of one. One is yes, Apuliyarvi, and I I don't know that he's going to fill the net, but I think he'll be uh, a more successful player this time. I think he's calmed down. I think he's got a different uh, communication with the coach, and I think that's going to be a benefit for him. So I think I, you know he might score nine goals in 56 games, but I think he'll be a productive player, and people will will get what he is as a great big you know winger uh, who's just coming into his role and figuring out how to play in the NHL. The other is Evan Bouchard. I don't know when he's going to get a chance, but when he does, I think he'll surprise people with his puck passing. And once he gets in the lineup, I don't think they'll take him out. He is going to be a really good player for a long time. Quickly, uh, where do you see the Oilers finishing in the North Division? I have them second behind Toronto, and the reason I do is because I, I, I don't think Toronto is as far ahead as some do, but I, I do think that they have a little bit of an edge. And I think that, that you know, Calgary is the other team that, that I think could push for, for second uh, place. But they, along with the gifts they have, they also have some, some challenges. So uh, I'm going to say Edmonton finishes second, Calgary third, uh, and Toronto will win the division. 
Well, uh, we will be talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, still to come here in the podcast. I just want to ask you this, Alan, because I don't want this show to be strictly X's and O's and recapping games, talking about uh, chemistry on the fourth line, but we're all in this business for a reason. It's because we love hockey, and a lot of us in this area, of course, love the Edmonton Oilers. When did you become an Oilers fan, and was there a, a, a moment, a player? Like, what made you become a fan of this team? You know, I'll tell you what, and it's it's very specific in my mind, uh, and it, it has nothing to do with uh, radio or hockey or anything, although obviously I was a hockey fan, but uh, I was reading the Saskatoon Star Phoenix in, I guess, 1971, and there was a photograph of a billboard that was on, I, I believe, the Yellowhead, and it was Bill Hunter saying, uh, big league hockey comes to Edmonton, or uh, pro hockey comes to Edmonton, something like that, and it was the first sign I'd ever had that, you know, the the Alberta, then Edmonton Oilers were going to exist, and from that moment on, I was very interested in it, I, I found out what the W WHA was when they signed Al Hamilton. I was thrilled, and I was—I I could say to you that I'm a—I was an uh, Oilers fan. Uh, from day one, from the first time that I saw that photo, because the, the idea, you have to understand, the nearest hockey we had, NHL hockey, was Vancouver, and they were basically a new team. The NHL, for you know anybody's purposes, when I was a kid, was a 6- or 12-team league, and there was nothing in Western Canada until Vancouver, and then two years later, the order. So I was a fan right away. Al, final question. I know I've said that a few times, but you know, you're just too good to let go immediately. We've got Terry Koshan coming up next on this show. We're going to talk about the Maple Leafs as well as Tyson Berry. I've got Adam Vinion coming up to discuss, of course, Kyle Turris. He played the last few years with the Nashville Predators. Do you have any questions about those two you want me to throw their way? Well, the Leafs, I, I, I'm interested in knowing what the, uh, because it, up front they've got so much firepower. I, I'd be interested in knowing how much they, they're going to play Anderson in goal and what their defensive units look like. I, I think they're, they're uh, you know, going to be counting on uh, some really, some older veterans there on defense. And I, and I wonder, uh, how much depth they have and who they plan on playing with each other. Uh, and as far as uh, uh, Turris is concerned, I- I've always wondered, you know, I've always thought he was a pretty darn good player. And I, I just, sometimes you, you end up in a city and it doesn't work out for you. And I'd like to know what happened uh, at his last city because it just, it, 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 was not a, uh, 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 an enjoyable experience, I'm sure, and he's a very talented guy. Sometimes you end up in a role that you're not you know, comfortable in or particularly good at, and that might be it, but it's always been a curio for me. And, it, you know, you think in Nashville you'd have a pretty good time. Good success, great city. It is a good question. I'm definitely going to be bringing that up with Adam Vinion when we speak to him later on in the show. Al, thank you very much for doing this today, and uh, if, if you're willing, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on the show in, okay. uh, in a couple weeks or so. Well, give him hell, and and uh, back in twenty whatever it was, ten or whatever, they would have been well to put you in the host chair and send me home. But I'm glad you're in the host chair now. I appreciate it. Al, we'll talk to you later. All right. That is Alan Mitchell, the host of the Lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon. He's alongside Tyler Yaremchuk, and uh, of course, you can get his writing. At the Athletic, as always, he does great stuff, and we're very appreciative of him joining us here on the show, our first ever edition of the Other Connor Podcast. And we want to continue this off-season conversation. And uh, one of the big stories this past off-season, of course, was Oscar Clefbaum. 
The news broke that he would not be playing this season due to injury. And with that, the general manager of the Oilers, Ken Holland, had a decision to make. And uh, he goes out and brings in Tyson Berry, former member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the Colorado Avalanche. With that, we got to bring in somebody who watched him play all last season to give you guys a little peek at what Oilers fans might expect from the veteran blue liner. With that, we will bring on Terry Kosha, and he is a Toronto Maple Leafs beat writer with the Toronto Sun. Terry, thank you very much for doing this today. How are you doing? Uh, doing good, Connor. You know, it's uh, good to be back covering the NHL again and not, uh, you know, wondering when things might happen, but uh, I prefer to be back in the range, so it's not happening yet here in Toronto, but uh, just could be back on the beat overall. So how is that working for you guys? I mean, I know you're talking to the players still after, but you just kind of, you know, throw up just generic questions their way? Yeah, it is. I mean, just, you know, Zoom calls right now and all that. And uh, like I said, I hope it improves. It's not ideal for us. It's, I don't think it's ideal for them. Um, you know, I know I'm, not all players like to do interviews, but I think the majority would tell you that, that they're okay with having us around. And uh, we understand, you know, the limitations of COVID and everything. So... Hopefully it'll turn at some point. Uh, it's not going to, I think, for a while. But, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can in unusual circumstances. I'm sure you guys will kill it out of the Toronto media. Always does a good job reporting on the Maple Leafs, of course. Uh, before we get to Tyson Berry, because I want to get your scouting report on yeah. him, what's it been like with Joe Thornton? What do you think he's going to bring to the Maple Leafs? Well, you know, he, he they love him already. <laughs> and he came over from Switzerland has it been a month yet? Probably not. But he, he quarantined uh, Connor with uh, um, it was Matthews, Nylander, um, one of the rookies, uh, Mac Hollowell, and um, a few other players. And uh, Rasmus Sandin was one of them. So they all quarantined together in a house after they came from their prospective uh, areas and um, and uh, got to know each other that way. And then you know once that was once that two weeks was over, they moved on to the rink and you know Thornton I know has already made quite an impression on them and it's kind of interesting to hear some of these you know some of the young guys talk about them and the impact he's kind of had just through them watching and even his kids that sort of thing and you know a bit of a curveball uh, yesterday with Sheldon Keith telling us that he's starting on a line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marta will that be the case when the Leafs open January 13th against Montreal not sure about that but uh, for now they're giving it a shot and see where they go with it so um, overall, the, the first impressions have all been positive. Start and what he has the ability to bring to this club. From a big outsider like myself, I'm a hundred percent behind that line. I'd love to see Jumbo Joe playing with those guys. Uh, let's get to Tyson Berry, though. Of course, he joins the Edmonton Oilers this past off season yep. after spending a year in Toronto. Uh, just want to ask you. I mean, this ten day camp is going to be pretty tough for a lot of the new faces with these organizations. When it came to last season, how long did it take for Tyson Berry to find his groove with the new club? Well, you know what? I think Tyson might tell you he never did find it completely. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that when he was acquired and before the Leafs opened the season, Connor, you know, there was discussions with Mike Babcock and that sort of thing as to what they expected from him. And a lot of it was not what uh, Tyson Berry did instinctively well. And I think that put him far behind the eight ball to start the season. I don't think it did. I know it did. And, uh, you know, it, it just that kind of set the course for him for the rest of the year. He was one of only two Leafs to play in all seventy games that Toronto played. He and Austin Matthews only two that were in every one. But um, I, you know, there was an improvement in Barry for sure when Sheldon Keith took over. Uh, but there's, like I said, I, don't, I, don't, I think I still tell you that he got off to that rough start, had a hard time 
getting used to everything in Toronto. He um, said several times that, you know, coming off a trade was a little more difficult than he thought it was going to be. But I think he would have been better off had he been used properly from day one. All you didn't know was that the day that, or the day after, sorry, Mike Babcock was fired in Arizona. We're on the road and the Leafs are playing the Coyotes the next night. After the morning skate, I said to Barry, I said, what do you think of the change? And, and he just looked up from untying his skates and he said, it's a new lease for all of us. He scored in his first three games a goal in each of his first three games under Keith and went from there. But um, I, I just think that overall it, it didn't work out to, as well as the Leafs had hoped it was going to that trade with Colorado. So in your opinion, what was he asked to do and, and what was the system that just didn't work with his style? Well, it was just to be... When you have an offensive-minded player like Tyson Berry or anyone else, and you you ask them to come off of that and do certain things differently, i.e., you know, you you want to be. I think the the, the reasoning for Badcock and the staff was we want you to get better at these things defensively, but you know, at the same time, there seemed to be a conscious effort to have him come back off the things that he did offensively well, and he just couldn't find a happy medium between the two. And I think that it really negatively influenced his play. And uh, like I said, didn't score a goal until Sheldon Keith's first game. And, and all season, I think Tyson Berry scored once in the power play. I mean, it was just the usage of him was just not uh, was not something that, that would have brought out the best in him. And you know, like I said, it got better under Sheldon Keith because Keith recognized that. Keith played. Keith wanted his players to use each other more on the ice and, and encourage the guys to jump up more. And uh, that paid off well for, for, for Barry in the early going and under Keith and it kind of improved. But um, it was just, uh, you know, you, maybe you can acquire a player, a young player who's in his early 20s. Okay, here's what we're going to concentrate on. But, you know, Tyson Berry's in his late 20s now. He's been around the block more than a few times in Colorado. And when you get, you want him to start doing things that don't come naturally, that's going to be a tough adjustment. And he just never got a full grip on it. I think you saying, uh, you know, the the hope that a player would jump up into the rush a little bit more like Tyson Berry. That's music to Oilers fans' ears because it's something they haven't really seen in the last few years. Um, for Tyson Berry, of course, he goes from a team into the Toronto Maple Leafs with top-end talent, Austin Matthews, uh, Mitch Marner, yeah. Elander, lots of great players, to the Oilers with Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, <laughs> Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, he knows how to pick the teams, obviously, but how do you think he'll uh, benefit from playing with those types of forwards? Well, he can't lose. And if, you know, he's given the opportunities there by the coaching staff to do what he does naturally, and I would imagine that that's one of the reasons why he signed there. So they told him that that was what's going to happen. He should excel. I would, I would, you know, it's only a 50 games, 56 game season, of course, Connor, so we don't know what points totals for all of these guys are going to be. But, uh, you know, I think Barry should do really well there. And if he has that encouragement to just do what he does well and, you know, not be a liability in defensive end, we get all that. But if he encouraged to do what he does well, I mean, how, you know, he, he should, like I say, he should excel with those people on the ice. I mean, he would with a guy like Nugent Hopkins. He would with a guy like Dreisaitl. But then when you have the best player in the game, and Connor McDavid and the opportunity to play with him, I would imagine not only at uh, even strength, but on the power play as well. Um, I, I think Barry has a real opportunity to shine and then turn this season into something long-term, whether it's with the Oilers or not. But, you know, I, you almost see this as a bit of a stepping stone deal for him, even at his age, that he can turn things around here with that club and uh, individually and, uh, you know, set himself up well for the future. 
Terry Koshen of the Toronto Sun joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. And I want to ask you about uh, his special teams ability because a lot of people here have him penciled in to take that spot that Oscar Clefbaum held down. Uh, of course, Clefbaum not going to play this year due to injury. And uh, we out here know how efficient that power play was. Do you think he can yeah. step in there and, and just kind of do what Clefbaum did? Yeah, because he's smart. And that's that's what he, was, he, he does. I mean, he was doing he, he did it in Colorado as well. He just has that acumen. And like I said, it just he would have done it here if he had been given those better opportunities in the early going. But I think it screwed him up and up to the point that he, he wasn't getting those and he never found himself. So, you know, his ability to read the play, Connor, to, to move, his, his lateral movement, um, the mobility that he's got, you know, to know when to jump in. If I'm remembering correctly, I, I can't remember if I am or not, but anyway, the first goal that he scored in Arizona, I'm pretty sure he came in off the point and was down around the goal line when he scored or, or in that general area. And it wasn't then, it was it was within the, that week or so because he scored in three straight games, like I said. Um, but he just has that fluidity and, and, and movement and mobility to, to excel with those guys. And, uh, you know, I, when you have the power play that the others already do and you add something like somebody like uh, Tyson Berry to it, um, I, I, you know, I would imagine they should, they should be able to produce the same level they've done in, in recent seasons. And how about on five on five? I mean, is there any situation where you think you might be a bit of a liability where Coach Tippett has to maybe monitor the situations he puts them out in? Well, I think so. But I, I, how many defensemen in the NHL can you not say that about? Not many, right? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a select handful that that are. I think you probably could say you trust one hundred percent of the time. I mean, a lot of these guys that have that offensive instinct first. I mean, of course you're going to have. You know, raise an eyebrow or two at some point with some of their defensive responsibilities. I don't think Barry's any different. Um, but uh, as much as he wasn't as good as the Leafs had hoped he was going to be as a as an all around player last year for them, and as, as he hoped he was going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to be a liability to to that degree where there's worry about putting him out there at five on five. I mean, I just. You know, I don't. I just don't see that. I mean, uh, he can be a bit of an adventure, but like I say, eighty um, percent of the defensemen in the NHL are anyway. No. And they don't have the the offensive upside that he does. So, uh, I, I, I'm happy for him because you know what, Connor, I should say too, he was a really good person. You know, we don't know him well because he's playing in the West, and we we don't see him very often. He comes here for a season, but he was a real stand-up guy with us. Uh, he had, he was a popular guy in the dressing room, and I think. Um, a lot of Leaf fans would probably tell you they're hoping for Barry to do well in Edmonton this season. Terry, I really appreciate you doing this. Just one final question for you. Uh, can I get a prediction on the North Division? How do you think the Maple Leafs uh, finish up, and where do you think the Oilers slot in? Well, I think the Leafs should win it. I mean, if these, if these acquisitions work that Davis has made, He's reshaped the bottom six here. So, you know, we're seeing that impact already. And I say bottom six, and here we have Joe Thornton playing with, with Matthews and Marner. Like I said earlier, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, but uh, there's more. I just finished writing a piece in the defense for tomorrow. There's more depth here with T.J. Brody. I think it's going to be a great partnership with Morgan Riley. Uh, there's more depth with bringing in Zach Bogosian, Miko Lettinen, who they brought in from Europe, and I think is going to be a good player for them. So... Although, you know what, it's hard to... I think the Leafs should win the division. I think the others should be there, too. I mean, you can't argue with the people that they have up front. And, and maybe, is the goaltending a question in Edmonton or Al Connor, perhaps? Um, but in a 56-game season where you're playing, you know, the same team six times, or the same six teams all the time, and 
there's going to be interesting rivalries. You're going to you're going to find out uh, you're going to learn teams' uh, weaknesses and strengths awfully quickly. The teams that make the best adjustments probably are going to wind up in the you know those those teams that are in the playoffs at the top of the division. But I would think the skill the Leafs have something's got to give here in Toronto. I mean, there's too much skill for them to not have a longer playoff run than they've had in, in any of the seasons that these youngsters have been here for. And, and perhaps this year will be the year that they mature with that. And they're also aided by the uh, uh, the, the leadership and, and uh, players such as Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton has been added. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie to you. I've got uh, Wednesday the 20th circled on the calendar. I love when the Leafs take on the Oilers. That matchup of top-end skill is always extremely entertaining to watch. Looking forward to it. And Terry, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Connor. And anytime during the season, if you want to chat, feel free. Oh, I will definitely take you up on that. Take care. Thanks. Take care. That is Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun, a longtime Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter. And I did like what he said about Tyson Berry that, you know, yeah, maybe it didn't always look great, but it was just a tough system for him. And, and when the coaching change happened, you know, obviously a little bit of weight was taken off his shoulders, scores a few more goals. And I think that's what you can look forward to with the Edmonton Oilers. I think Dave Tippett knows what he's doing with a guy like Tyson Berry. And I think you're looking at the bounce back season for him, especially when you factor in that he'll be on that number one unit power play. I think that's going to go a long way. And playing with the guys like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, it's got to open up that creativity. And I, I think you're going to see some very good things from the 29-year-old blue liner Tyson Berry this season with the Oilers. Uh, another big offseason acquisition was Kyle Turris. After he was bought out by the Nashville Predators, he comes to the Oilers looking to fill that third-line center role and you know possibly play some special teams as well. We're going to bring in now Adam Vingan. He covers the Nashville Predators with the Athletic. He's been doing so for a long time. And I want to just get his thoughts on how he thinks... Kyle Turris will fit in with the Edmonton Oilers. Adam, we really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good, thank you. And uh, obviously we're going to get to Kyle Turris. That's kind of the big news of the day. But uh, you were just mentioning before we hopped on here, the the Admirals, the Predators AHL affiliate, not going to be playing this year. Yes, the Milwaukee Admirals have opted out of the 2021 AHL season. Um, They were the best team in the league last year uh, by a wide margin when the AHL season uh, was suspended in March. Um, Of course, this complicates things in terms of the development of certain players. There, of course, is the taxi squad that all players will, all teams will have um, in addition to their 23-man roster, uh, but the Predators are going to have to find a place for their AHL prospects. Yeah, that certainly throws a, a kind of a stick in this, folks, for uh, the uh, the AHL affiliate. Something we'll have to watch out for the Bakersfield Condors as well going forward. But uh, like I said, we brought you on today to talk about Kyle Turris, a player that the Oilers brought over in the off season after parting ways with the Nashville Predators. And your athletic coworker Alan Mitchell was just on the show. He wanted me to ask you this: uh, after putting up the numbers that he did with the Senators and then coming over to Nashville, spending three years there, it didn't really work out. Uh, what went wrong in Nashville for Kyle Turris? Well. Let's, let us imagine for a second that the, the Nashville Predators are a, a giant jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, I, I know when I was younger, you know, I used to get frustrated with puzzles, especially if there were too many pieces. And you would try to finish the puzzle as best you could, even if it meant trying to jam a piece into a place where it obviously wasn't going to fit. And you, you pounded your fists on it, 
and you, and you bent it, and you did all of the things you could to make the piece fit, but it never fit. Kyle Turris was that, was that jigsaw puzzle piece. That's my, that's my metaphor. It might, it, I might have lost you a little bit. But basically, he never, outside of the first couple months he was here, he never really fit in. Um, and some of that, um, it, you know, it, it's hard to exactly, it's hard to say exactly, like, when everything went wrong, per se. Um, he, he did have a falling out with Peter Laviolette um, late in the 2018-19 season. Um, and it continued last season. At one point, he was scratched in, I think it was, seven consecutive games in you know, late October through you know, mid to late November. Um, and, the, and the Predators tried to make it work. Um, when they came back for the return to play, for example, they put, him, um, they put him on the second line at center, but they moved Matthew Shane from center to wing. And now Matthew Shane can play wing. But that's not what they paid him to do. So they were they were doing everything they could to find a place for Kyle. But as I made the the metaphor before, they just could not find a proper fit for him with everything else fitting around him. So they made the difficult decision financially to buy him out. You talk about the follow-up with head coach Lavioletta. What was the reason for that? Well, I wish I could tell you, uh, but Peter Laviolette never expanded on it, uh, and Kyle uh, declined uh, to expand on it as well. Um, certainly, it just seemed it just seemed that Kyle Torres was not a Peter Laviolette kind of player. Um, you know, when when Kyle was in the lineup, um, he was buried. Um, he was playing fourth line minutes, which is not where a player like Kyle Torres is best uh, best played. Um, it's it's really hard to say um, exactly what the problem was. I just don't think uh, Peter's, Peter's coaching style and Kyle's playing style, you know, they did not mesh very well. When he was being buried there in the roster, I mean, was there clear signs of frustration with him? You know, I appreciate uh, I appreciate myself, um, you know, how professional Kyle was throughout the entire thing. Um, you know, certainly did not did not badmouth anybody. Um, did his best to take it in stride. It was very frustrating for him. Um, so, you know, you could tell that he, he had to bite his tongue a couple of times, but, you know, never spoke out of turn, um, at least publicly. Um, I, I, I give him credit for, you know, putting on a brave face, so to speak. But I think the writing was on the wall for everybody. Um, and, you know, I think he understood it. I think his family understood it. I think the Predators understood it. You know, they made the decision to trade for him, immediately signed him to a six-year contract. You know, the first month, he was a point-per-game player. He looked great on the line with Kevin Fiala and Craig Smith. Um, you know, one of the best lines in the NHL during that, that you know, 16-17 or 17-18 regular season, rather, um, through the regular season. Um, it, yeah, it, you know, sometimes, you know, I asked David Poyle the day they bought him out, you know, why did Kyle fail in Nashville? And he said... I knew the answer to that. I wouldn't be sitting here right now explaining why I had to buy it now. Um, so it, 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 it was a very interesting saga, so to speak. And when that buyout happened, I know uh, on our show with Jason Greger and Jason Strudwick, there was a lot of talk that you know some team could get a really nice player here, and maybe it was just kind of a dream that he might end up in Edmonton. And since it happened, a lot of people here are thinking he could be that perfect third-line center for the club, obviously behind McDavid and Dreisaitl. Do you think that's a role where he could have some success? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, certainly, what, what's good about his situation in Edmonton is that he, his role is clearly defined. You're, you're not going to be a top-six player with the top-six centers that the Edmonton Oilers have. He knows he's going to be the third-line center. He knows what his responsibilities are going to be every night, and that is a step up from what he experienced here in Nashville for most of his time. Um, so that alone should mean better things for Kyle with the Oilers than he had here with the Predators. Now, if worse comes to worse and there's something that happens, is there any chance, I mean, he can slide up into the top two lines, potentially playing alongside a McDavid or a Drysdale? Do you think he has that skill set where he could do that? Yeah, I do. Um, and remember, he was a very he was a very effective player with Ottawa before being traded to Nashville. You know, he scored more than twenty goals, more than fifty points. You know, he, he did he didn't lose that skill um, all of a sudden. Um, and of course, as as you know very well, you know Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl can make you know even you know even the most average of players look like superstars. Um, but Kyle Turris. You know, it is a skilled player. That is his game. So if he has that opportunity, I'm sure he'll make the most of it. Uh, we had Dave Tippett on our show with uh, Jason Greger earlier last week, and he mentioned that uh, Turris could see some time on the penalty kill with the Oilers. Did you see that in Nashville a lot, and do you think that's something that he might be able to do? He did um, once the coaching change happened. He, he never played on the penalty kill under Peter Laviolette, but John Hines used him on the penalty kill quite a bit. Um, so, yes, that is something that I could see happening at Edmonton. Just a couple more questions for you, Adam. We really appreciate you hopping on the show today. Let's just say, best-case scenario, what do you think the stat line can look like for Kyle Turris, and what kind of player can he be? I think in a in a 56-game season, you know, 30 points, um, you know, 25 to 30 points, you know, at minimum, um, I, I think what should be considered a, a solid season for Kyle. Um, I'm not sure how that extrapolates to an 82-game season. I'm really bad at math. Um, but in an 82-game season, I, I think he should absolutely be at least, you know, a, a 35- to 40-point player. Um, so I would say best-case scenario, he scores 10 goals, chips in 20, 25 assists. Um, you know, that might be, as you said, the best-case scenario. But I, I think depending on his line mates and the way that Dave Tippett uses him, if he gets some power play time, um, I think it's uh, within reach. Adam, awesome stuff. And uh, just very quickly here, obviously, camp's opening up. How do you like the Preds this year, and where do you think they finish in the Central Division? Um, I think this season is going to be very interesting, um, just because the Predators have certainly you know, attempted to change their identity. Um, most of the players they brought in during the offseason are more of your gritty-type players. Uh, Brad Richardson, Mark Borowiecki, Nick Cousins, uh, among others. Um, certainly it all falls on the top four forwards who all struggled last year for a variety of reasons. Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, Matthew Shane, and Ryan Johansson. Um, you know, Roman Yossi coming off a Norris Trophy. You know, Ryan Ellis, you know, an elite caliber defenseman in his own right. Um, I, I think there are a lot of pieces there. And, and as Ryan Ellis said on the first day at camp, you know, the Predators have to prove to themselves and everybody else that they're a team that can still compete. Since uh, making it to the Stanley Cup Final in 2017, they've been going backward in the postseason, um, culminating with a play-in round loss in four games to Arizona in August. Um, so, the, you know, I, I just saw the, the over-under 
I think, had them at 64.5 points, which would have them tied for fourth um, in the Central Division. I think they are a bubble team. I, I think they are a you know a third to fourth place team in the Central Division. Well, we look forward to watching them and all the NHL teams once this gets going in just over a week. Adam, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast, and uh, we'll, we'll get you back on later on in the year. All right, thanks for having me. It was absolutely our pleasure, Adam. I can give Adam a follow at Adam Vingan on Twitter. He, of course, covers the National Predators for The Athletic. does a great job. And we've got a little bit of time left here on the show, and uh, we might as well bring in somebody who actually watched the Oilers practice today, Tom Gazzola. He, of course, is the pre- and post-game host on TSN 1260. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm well. I just want to know how ready you are for next week when we're on with the pre-game show. Tom, I don't think I've been more ready in my life. I am, I am ready to go. I mean, you and I were so pumped up for this, uh, summertime hockey. We thought we were going to get a hangout, talk Oilers for a few weeks. And it didn't even last one week. Like, it was just kind of a teaser. It was like a preseason. Then we had to wait all this time. I'm ready to go. I'm fired up for the pre and post game shows. How about you? I honestly can't believe it's actually happening. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands, Connor. It's, uh, this, this excitement like a little kid being at the rink today was the same feeling you know we we've sat at home uh you've been in studio at tsn 1260 it's just been so bizarre that when i actually drove to the rink today i was like whoa this is for real and so i'm so excited to get going again i know we're gonna have a great show and it's gonna be a fun interesting weird and bizarre season and guess what when it ends our off season, in theory, is going to be a pretty quick turnaround as well because we're going to be right back into 2021-22. Typically, I might have a problem with that, but you know what? 2020 was such a mess. Like, who cares? Let's just let's just work as much as we can. Let's talk hockey as much as we can. And I mean, we're less than ten days away from the regular season kicking off. Uh, you were down at Nate today. You got a chance to watch some of the players. Of course, uh, Jason Greger tweeted out the lineup. Let's just start at the top unit. Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, Cassian. Do you think that's a line they go with starting the season? I think so, because watching what Dave Tippett has done, he, he doesn't really play games with the media and with other teams. I, I think he, he he's not that coy. I know in return to play, he was a little bit, especially with the goaltending, but I don't think he, he tries to play the whole smoke and mirror game all that much. So I think that's a message to Zach Cassian and and to Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins that uh, start to build your chemistry right now. Build off of whatever you guys uh, had going at times last season. And and for Cassian, I think really, Connor, that this is a sign that it's your job to lose. Do what you did because you had a career year last season. I think that gets lost on some people. It doesn't really get brought up a lot. And and we need the Zach Cassian that played the first 71 games. Oh, pardon me, because he was suspended, so not all 71, but in those first 71 games. And and we don't need the guy that you know kind of didn't show up for a return to play in uh, what you aptly described as a, a, a tease to all of us. <laughs> he was like the microcosm of the Oilers. Like he he wasn't great, but nobody was, and it was really disappointing. So I'm sure for these guys, I mean that that has to leave kind of that bitter taste in your mouth. You're, you're amped up to go out there and do this, and yeah, the circumstances were weird, but they severely underperformed. Yeah, and you know what's funny is a guy like Ethan Bear pointed it out in his post-skate availability today. He, he just flat out said, he's like, you know, we weren't good enough as a whole. I wasn't good enough. Uh, 
Dave Tippett mentioned that. He pointed out players that, that weren't up to snuff and, and weren't playing as well as they had been in the regular season before it was stopped abruptly. And that really was the issue. I know the goalies got a really rough ride for some of the goals they allowed. I get it. And it's easy for us, and we did it on our shows too, to say, hey, the goalies need to make that extra save, or Mike Smith shouldn't be giving the puck away and dishing out these delicious pizzas to the opposition the way he does and, and did to the Chicago Blackhawks in game one. But at the same time, a lot of those goals, Connor, that were going in were these fantastic grade-A chances in prime scoring areas with nothing but time. And when you let NHL or have a shot at the net, like that, generally they're going to beat the, the world's best goalies because those guys uh, can fire that thing like you wouldn't believe. It's just a laser, and they find holes on these goalies. So uh, the whole team was bad, and it's good that they point that out. Like if they were to come out and say, listen, you know, we just had bad luck, this and that, uh, if we had hung on to a lead, it would have been a different story. Just admitting that they weren't ready and not able to perform uh, up to snuff, I think is a, is a good way to heal, learn from your experiences and mistakes, and become better for it. So uh, I think you're hearing the right things right now early on in camp. Let's see if they put that uh, those words into action. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's not like you're trying to, to make it a positive, because obviously they underachieved, it did not look good, they did not play well, but... You know, now that you're a few months out from it, you have to kind of look back at that and and almost use it as motivation. Like, let's not do that again. We have to know uh, we can't play like that. It's going to bite us in the butt. And at the same time, like, you can't put a team like the Chicago Blackhawks with all that experience that they had on that team. You can't give them those opportunities because they will capitalize. And they did. And it exposed the Oilers. And it showed you maybe where their maturity level was at or if they lacked maturity. Uh, however you want to paint it, it, it exposed the Oilers. So it, is this a step in in the growth process? I think it's easy to say yes. Like even listening to Brad Trey Living talking about Calgary's exit in the first round in the return to play last season, he called it a step too. So it's that same rhetoric. <laughs> now it's it's the true test. Now see where your team takes it. See where the mental capacity of the collective group is. Does this team really have it? And when you look at the Oilers, you look at the fact that there's a lot of veteran players, a lot of good forwards, a lot of absolutely tremendous high-end skill and two of the most offensively gifted players in the league. And and now their medal's being tested mentally because they've been able to do it physically on the ice. But let's see if they can... Uh, Learn from their mistakes. It's you know I I was watching a lot of Star Wars recently and <laughs> I almost cried when Yoda reappeared with Luke Skywalker in uh, what was it the the Last Jedi and and a lot of those those metaphors kind of I think uh, cross over into this Oilers team heading into the new season. Connor, not to get too geeked out here. You know what? Like this this probably is going to make a lot of people not like me. Maybe I shouldn't admit it on the first ever the other Connor podcast, but I've only seen two Star Wars movies, and one was like the one with the pod racers. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. So th- those uh, metaphors are lost on me, but, <laughs> you know, every time we have you on, if you want to bring a different movie, uh, drop in some quotes, we can have some fun with that. This one, I'm sorry, just that one's over my head. Uh, I want to ask you about a few players, some of the new names uh, on the show today. We've already talked about uh, Ty 
Tyson Berry and Kyle Turris with the local beat reporters from their previous markets. So I'm going to ask you your thoughts on those guys. But first, uh, Tyler Ennis, he skated with Group 2 on the line with Leon Dreisaitl and Kyler Yamamoto. He, of course, had that pretty brutal injury in the playoffs round against the Chicago Blackhawks. How did he look out there? It looked like business as usual for Tyler Ennis. And, and it's funny because he's the kind of guy that just it seems like he has a really easygoing demeanor. Whatever coach, the coaches throw at him in terms of tasks, responsibilities, assignments, he just he goes about it and says, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it on head on. And, and that's the beauty of him. And, and the good thing is, is he's not a big guy. He's, he's feisty. He's smart. Um, and all of that, like the quickness, it seemed like it was there. He made a few nice plays on some drills, some three-on-two down-low plays, where it kind of was an indicator saying, all right, like that injury was nasty, but he looks like he's ready to go. So I thought from what I saw from Tyler Ennis, again, in a small sample size, was pretty good if, if this thing is uh, going to get off on the right leg. Uh, for a lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, how about Tyson Berry? He was paired with Chris Russell. Uh, we had Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun on earlier, and uh, he said, said a lot of really good stuff about Tyson Berry and how it wasn't necessarily that he was playing bad last year, but maybe being utilized poorly. What did you see from him today? He looked good. He looked fine, uh, comfortable, and, and now you've got two veteran blue liners lining up with one another, two different types of blue liners. I like the traditional one guy's a stay-at-home, solid defensive guy where the other guy takes more risks, uh, and with risk comes reward, and it comes uh, with danger as well. So I kind of don't mind this pairing compared to some of the reaction we saw when the the sessions and the groupings were put out and and the fan base, I don't think, like the Barry-Russell combination. Connor, these are two guys that have been around this league for a long time. Uh, they know what they're capable of doing in this league out on the ice, and they know where their limitations are. So if this combination uh, can can find some type of chemistry, if, if they know where each other is out there, um, you know, Chris Russell, if he can find a way to, to see some cues from Tyson Berry where he understands where, where Berry picks and chooses his spots to, to take off, and, and Berry knows where those openings might be because he – uh, understands where Chris Russell is going to be on the ice at all times. I don't really have a problem with this pairing. I know a lot of people wanted Caleb Jones with Tyson Berry, but maybe this is a sign that, that Dave Tippett, Jim Playfair, don't think we're there yet for Caleb Jones. So maybe he wants Caleb Jones playing with someone a little bit more defensively sound in a guy like Adam Larson. Again, really early, but let's see where this goes. I don't have as much of a problem with the Berry Russell problem, I'll just reiterate that compared to uh, a lot of the reaction we saw on social media. Uh, Tom, earlier on in the show, we did have Adam Vinion on. He covers the National Predators, of course, with The Athletic. We talked about Kyle Turris, and he was telling me that a lot of the struggles there kind of stemmed with the relationship with Coach Laviolette, and there was uh, kind of being buried down in the lineup and you know missing games, being scratched. It just didn't really work out with the head coach. But now, back with Coach Tippett, someone he's been with before, what do you like about Kyle Turris's games? And I mean, we all have him penciled in as that third line center. Do you think there's some versatility that potentially he can be moved around in a pinch if need be? Yeah, because absolutely. Because A, he's done it before. B, he has the experience. And and C, uh, I think that that fresh, clean slate can do wonders for guys. Where, where they're in a good state of mind, where they're not fighting with the coach, 
where they're not uh, being belittled by the coach and embarrassed by being healthy scratched, that goes a long way. And, and now it creates a chip on his shoulder where he wants to show everyone that he's still capable of putting up 30, 40 points. I know this, the season's shortened, but this is a guy that I always look at and I'm like, man, he's subtly good. You know, he does. He, I don't see him as a very flashy guy, but when you see a nice play and, and it winds up uh, with the red light going on, and you're like, hey, that was a, a nice play by Turris to set that up. And, and, you know, he has some finish offensively to, to actually bury the biscuit as well. But I always see him as kind of a playmaker, kind of that smart heads-up play to get, get the offensive uh, spark going. Like, that's, that's kind of how I see him. So I think he can be sneaky good. And the other thing, too, with him, he doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to be uh, at the front of the line and, and beating his chest and going rah-rah. Uh, and being all flash and panache, he strikes me as a guy that kind of fly, flies under the radar a little bit. And when he's at his best is when he can go about his business quietly and uh, have his effect that way. And I think that this opportunity playing behind McDavid and Dreisaitl really is somewhere he could excel. So I think that this, this again, is a good situation for a guy that uh, might want to show people he's still got a lot of game left. Yeah, and you know, you talk about that kind of not having to be in the spotlight. Uh, both beat reporters we had talking about Barry and Turris saying that, you know, professionals, like, handled their business, were great to deal with at the media, and honestly, I, I think that, you know, off the ice, you know, it's kind of going to be similar to on the ice. I mean, they're going to go out there, do their job, know what they have to do, and, they I mean, they signed with the Oilers for a reason. I'm sure knowing that you get to play with Drysdale and McDavid probably helps, and those guys are going to face the spotlight on and off the ice, so you can kind of just do your thing. Uh, you're down there at Nate today watching the skate. Did anyone surprise you? Anyone stand out? Well, how about Patrick Russell lighting up Miko Koskinen like six or seven <laughs> times in a four or five minute span on that three on two drill I was talking about down low? He he seemed to know where to go on Koskinen, and it might surprise you and your listeners, but it was high gloves. And uh, <laughs> Patrick Russell was just lighting the lamp, and and uh, it's his birthday today. Uh, as I was told at the rake, and and I was just like, I'm like, who keeps sniping on Koskinen? And then time after time, it was it was Russell, and he was skating with Benson and McLeod, and and you know what? It, it's hard to really gauge Connor in in these skates where everybody generally looks good, but when a guy pots like five or six in a row like that, seven in a row, you're just like, that's pretty good. You're having a very good practice. I, I think that's. That's a good sign. But, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't see him <laughs> uh, factoring in unless there's a lot of injuries because uh, we watched him last year, and he, he works hard. He's an honest player, but there's not a ton of offense there. You know what, though? I think that's a guy we're all rooting for to get a goal. Because he, yeah. he had a goal oh, last year, right, God. and it was taken away. And, like, you just want him to, to find a way to get that NHL goal. He deserves it. He's worked his butt off. He's a good person. Uh, smart kid, and uh, he's put in his time, and he's earned everything he's got at the professional level. And, and you're right. Let's let's root for him. So maybe, maybe this day one of training camp, where maybe Miko just wants to get Patrick Russell's confidence up offensively, so that when he does get into the lineup, he does score that first NHL goal. Miko Koskinen, a noted team player, really building <laughs> up the confidence. I like I like that. It's a positive spin, Tom. 
Thank you. See, they're all in it together, man. Oh, that's that's what you need to hear. The room is building. There's a lot of chemistry. That's what I'm hearing. Tom, uh, thank you so much for hopping on. I know you're like the busiest guy in sports media. I'm sure you got a podcast to do right after this one. So we appreciate you joining us here. Connor, always a pleasure. Congrats on the podcast and uh, look forward to that first show next week. As do I, Tommy. As do I. Thank you very much for hopping on the show today. That is Tom Gazzola, pre- and post-game show host on TSN 1260. Uh, once again, I just want to thank you guys all so much for tuning in to the first edition of the Other Connor podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this today, talking about the Edmonton Oilers offseason. We had some great guests, of course. Huge thank you to Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide on TSN 1260. He also writes at The Athletic. Also got to give big thanks to Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun joining us to talk about Tyson Berry as well as Adam Vinian of The Athletic. He joined us to talk about Kyle Turris. And of course, a big thank you to the man himself, Tom Gazzola. That'll do it for this edition of the show. We will be back on Friday talking more of the Oilers offseason. We'll talk a little NHL fantasy who should you be looking to? And are there any deep sleepers on this Oilers roster that might be worth a pick? And uh, we might have a few more special guests to get to. So once again, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the inaugural edition of the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll talk to you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.